When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you believe extraterrestrials have an alternative motive? Does evidence show people are being kidnapped by aliens? Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Vet Fielding, and in this episode, we will be exploring alien abductions. An alien abduction refers to the phenomenon of people reporting what they believe to be the real experience of being kidnapped by extraterrestrial beings and subjected to physical and psychological experimentation. Typical claims involve loss of time, a return to a different area and forced medical examinations that emphasise the subject's reproductive systems. Abductees sometimes claim to have been warned against environmental abuses and the dangers of nuclear weapons. Reports of abduction have been made all around the world with similarities in stories across the board. Possibly the most famous and first uh, famous cases regarding alien abduction is the alleged true account of Betty and Barney Hill. The source of the following account has been taken from the History Channel. It was 1961. Married couple Betty and Barney Hill had just enjoyed a delayed honeymoon in Montreal. On the last day of their holiday, they planned to drive through the night from Vermont to Portsmouth in New Hampshire, the USA. After plenty of coffee, they left a diner at 10pm and figured if they just kept driving, they could be home between 2am and 3am. Driving through the night and on quiet roads, they both noticed a bright, shining light that seemed to be falling from the sky. Both Barney and Betty began to get a little nervous as the light seemed to be following the car. One minute, the bright light was there the next, it was gone, only to appear again in front of them. Curiosity got the better of the couple, so Barney pulled the car over to the side of the road. In the safety of a picnic stop, Betty took out her binoculars and stared in disbelief at what looked like a bright white object that was spinning in the air. Barney, a logical ex-vet and plain fanatic, concluded to his wife that he thought at first it could have been a satellite. He considered all the other logical explanations that the spinning object could be, but couldn't think of one. 
driving the car back onto the road and about 70 miles past the diner that they had first come from, Barney and Betty watched on from their moving vehicle. The spinning machine hovered in front of them at about 100 feet above the car. Barney screeched the vehicle to a stop. Leaving Betty in the car, he ran into a field, taking his handgun with him. He described seeing an object that was as flat as a pancake and as big as a jet. There were rows of windows running along the middle of the craft, and behind them Barney could make out grey, uniformed beings staring out at him. It was in this bizarre moment that Barney thought they were about to be taken. He ran back to Betty and his car, where he then proceeded to try to race away as quickly as he could. Suddenly, loud beeping noises came from within the car. Strangely, the couple felt instantly drowsy and apparently lost consciousness. When they came to, they discovered it was two hours later and they had travelled 35 miles further down the road. Back home, their experience certainly wasn't forgotten or put down to tiredness. Barney and Betty knew something very peculiar had happened to them. What had occurred within those two missing hours? And how had the car moved on its own? Not just an inch or two, where the car could have rolled, but 35 miles away. This was extraordinary and very frightening. Barney couldn't stop examining the lower half of his body. Betty was having disturbing and frightening dreams and eventually Barney became ill with anxiety and an ulcer. After much talk, the two decided to seek help and turned to Benjamin Simon, a neurologist and psychiatrist who specialised in hypnosis. In these hypnosis sessions, over some months, Benjamin Simon revealed to the couple what had happened to them on that frightening night. Apparently, according to the couple who were under hypnosis at the time, they both revealed that the strange spinning object they had encountered landed on top of the car placed them both into a deep sleep state. The aliens took them into the ship and separated them both. Barney describes an examination room that was curved and bright. A large light hung from the ceiling. Barney and then Betty were separately examined. Each climbed onto a metal table where their clothes were removed. The alien beings took nail clippings, cut their hair and scraped their skin. All of their samples were then placed onto a glass slide or what looked to be like one. Probes and needles were inserted into their heads, arms, spine and legs. Betty endured the agonising pain as the aliens pushed a huge needle into her abdomen. The Hills both noticed an alien they both called the leader who just stood and observed from a distance. When Betty's excruciating examination was over, which she took to be a pregnancy test, the aliens ran back into her room, excited as they had discovered that Barney's teeth could come out. Apparently, Betty laughed and explained that as a human body ages, the need for dentures was a normality in an older person's life. Betty then asked the leader whereabouts in the universe they'd come from. The leader's reply was, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Under hypnosis, Betty drew a star map shown to her on the ship. It wasn't until 1965 that a newspaper picked up their story and after it appeared, the couple 
became celebrities. So what had happened to the couple all those years ago back in 1961? Was there a logical explanation for what happened to them? Did they make the whole thing up? We only have their account. There were no witnesses. Were Betty and Barney just fantasists wanting to make a quick buck and become famous? If all that were true, it seems a lot of energy and time was wasted on a bizarre story that they knew they would only face ridicule and mockery on the world stage. And if true, what did the aliens, or greys, want? Why did they take all the samples? I find this case absolutely fascinating and wonderful. It not only helped to open the doors for other alien abduction accounts, but it also introduced the world to the fact that this is something that could happen to you. This week's story is from Paul Clare, who tells a story from his grandparents whose strange journey lasted longer than expected. I'd like to share an experience that my grandparents had back in October 1983, whilst travelling back from visiting my uncle and aunties, their son and daughter-in-law, and their two little girls. I would have been about four years old at the time, and I was only told about this encounter when I was much older. Sadly, my grandparents have passed away, but my nan spoke about her experience in her later years, and my cousin has recently shared with me pages from a notepad which my granddad had written down his account of the experience immediately after it happened. His words start, My name is Gordon Clare, and with my wife, Margaret, this is a true statement of a fearful journey from Shrewsbury to Weaverham in Northwich on the 21st of October, 1983. He goes on to say that he left Shrewsbury later than usual, around 11pm, a journey which would take them just over an hour. Around 30 minutes into their journey, they were travelling along the A49, where he describes around 10 motorcyclists parked in a lay-by, along with some youths walking further along the road. A few miles from this point, my nan and granddad describe a very bright light coming from behind them on the near side of his car. They instantly assumed that this was a motorcyclist and so prepared to let them pass. However, the light became much stronger with an orange glow, and then the light travelled up and above the car where they described seeing a cigar-shaped object in the sky that kept appearing and disappearing. They then speak about continued flashing light at one of the windows of the car, almost like a laser beam being pointed at them. They continued to drive along their journey and it was along the A49 just south of Whitchurch in Cheshire, but the cigar-shaped object continued to follow them and again they described the light being shone from the craft into the car across their bodies. This continued down the A49 and if you know the area, my granddad said he was just near Tarpley which is not too far from Delamere Forest. At this point they saw cigar-shaped objects again, over a field of trees a few hundred yards away from their vehicle, and my granddad in his notes describes the most wonderful sight of coloured lights around the craft and two prominent red ones. The object remained still over the trees without any sound. He goes on to say he was putting more pressure on the accelerator of the car to drive away at speed but he felt like all the power had been drained from his vehicle then as quickly as the lights of the craft appeared it zoomed off out of sight and never to be seen again my nan and granddad continued home shaken after experience only to discover they had arrived home at 2am nearly two hours later which they should have my granddad also discovered a mark on his leg where he described the red laser coming down from the craft had travelled across him this mark remained on my granddad's leg until the day he died so shaken for what had happened my nan decides to make contact with Jodrell Bank uh, Jodrell Bank is a huge astronomical observatory which is based in Cheshire 
I don't know about the, uh, what they were researching to at the time, but I know more recently they've been researching into other forms of life in the universe. Dodger Bank did confirm to my grandparents that they had the many reportings of strange sightings in the night of the area and asked if they wanted someone to come down to the house to discuss with what, them what had happened. But my nan instantly said, no, I don't want anything more to do with it. It had shaken her that much, she preferred not to discuss the matter any further. My nan, however, did visit her GP about the matter, thinking what could have happened to them in the time lost, and certainly worried about the mark that appeared on my granddad's leg. The GP both gave them a clean bill of health, and regression was also discussed with the GP, but advised against it. He said that it could have put my nan's health at risk, asking her to relive her experience again. My grandparents were kind, sensible people and with an excellent state of mind. They were not one for making up stories and certainly wouldn't visit their doctors unless they were at the point where they were extremely worried about their health. Paul, thank you so much for sharing such a personal family experience with us. Where to begin? How strange that the story of Barney Betty Hills is similar to your grandparents' encounter. I do know these roads, in fact, that you talk about and have travelled them frequently over the past few years. And I do know that I've spoken to a few people who have seen strange lights in the skies above Delamere Forest and the country roads out of Shrewsbury. I wonder, do you, Paul, think that your grandparents were taken? And given the marking on your granddad's leg, were they experimented on? I'd love to know what you actually think. I'm not surprised your grand didn't take the opportunity to be regressed. I mean, would you? I think I would. But then who knows how uh, you'd feel about it after you discovered the truth? Again, there's the lack of explanation for the time loss. I know these roads. I've travelled them, as I say, many, many times and often on my own and in the middle of the night. And they're certainly very quiet and there would be no explanation for a two hour delay. Unless, let's for instance, um, a herd of sheep or cows decided to cross the road late at night. Also, Taking the time to visit a doctor to discuss what happened to them, firstly, was a very brave thing to do, but also proves that they really believed that something very unusual had happened to them that night. And finally, for Jodrell Bank to confirm that they had reports of strange lights being witnessed over Cheshire on the same night concludes to me that your grandparents did indeed experience an alien craft. What happened to them within those lost two hours will always remain a mystery, but I think we can all guess. One thing's for sure, Paul, I shall be very cautious next time I'm driving alone on that road late at night. If I see a strange light that starts to follow me, I shall, well, scream a lot and just, well, I'll be dust. Hello, sorry to interrupt your podcast. We didn't do that. It's just been magically done for us. We do a podcast, which I think you might like if you like this podcast. Our podcast is called The A to Z of Men with me, Chris Brooks. And me, Scott Robinson. And what's the podcast about, Scott? I mean, what we're doing really is giving you an insight, a delve into the male mind. We're going through the alphabet letter by letter. I submit a word, Chris submits a word, and we battle it out to see what word goes into the A to Z of Men. And you can get us wherever you get your podcast podcast from just search for the A to Z of men.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today we're chatting with Dr. Irina Scott, author, physiologist, and astronomer participating in UFO investigations. Her recent book is called Beyond Pascagoula, and it's about an alien abduction case, and it's published by Flying Disc Press. Welcome so much. Welcome, Dr. Irina Scott. It's lovely that you've joined us on Paranormal Activity. Well, thank you very much. I'm very glad to get the invitation. Thanks. Oh, wonderful. So we're very excited because we're talking about um, alien abduction, obviously. Uh, that's why you're here talking to us. And I just wanted to know, um, what um, got you involved uh, uh, with the, the researching of UFOs and particularly alien abduction? Uh, what got me involved um, was having my own experience with UFOs uh, starting when I was young. Can you describe that for us? Well, I had several uh, throughout my life. The first one was when I was a really young kid and um, I didn't know anything about UFOs or planets or anything. We were very poor living on a farm. We had a radio. We just before that had been farming with horses and <laughs> outside water and stuff. So I didn't know anything about anything. I was about six and my sister was about four. And one clear night I was sleeping and woke up. We were sleeping in, my sister and I were sleeping on opposite uh, sides of an attic room. And I saw this thing flying around the room. I didn't know what it was. It looked like a real tic-tac. It was about, I think I described it as cough drop shaped. 
it was glowing. It looked like real hot iron. It was small and it was just flying around the room and I'd never seen anything like it. And I kept watching it and I realized it seemed to know, the room was dark, but it seemed to know where things were and it didn't bump into anything. It would go around furniture and stuff. It didn't blink or anything. And then it flew up toward the ceiling, but it turned before it got to the ceiling and a chandelier was in the middle of the room, which was turned off. Well, it flew over to the chandelier and it didn't seem to feel its way around to know where the walls or anything were. It just started circling the chandelier and then it circled in spiral under the chandelier. And as it came down, both of us just at the same time became terrified and started screaming and shrieking and tried to run out of the room and fell down the stair steps and we couldn't get the door open in our terror. And then we ran screaming to our parents and they didn't believe us. But that was the first thing that happened. <laughs> what did you think it was when you look back now? What what do you think it was? I mean, did you did you think could it have been, a, you know, it, your imagination? But you would have poo-pooed that because, of course, your sister uh, was with you. Yeah, we weren't talking to each other. We had apparently woke up at the same time and then became terrified at the same time. And we didn't know how it got in the room. It, both doors were shut and the window was shut. Later, I read a book by Jenny Randalls who said that sometimes people, when they're young kids, have see orbs in their bedroom. And then later they see UFOs when they are older. Usually that happens to one person, but we were unusual because it happened to us. We had a that when we were younger and then we had a um, sighting together when we were older too. That's absolutely fantastic. And so, and then, then you went into science and then again, did you look back on that first encounter and think, wow, what was that? I mean, did it make you want to sort of delve into it further? Yeah. I mean, years later, for most of the time, I didn't talk about it because I was in science, but years later, I read a book by Jenny Randalls and that's what I told you. She sort of said that, described kind of what happened to us that we saw this little thing when we were kids and then later saw a UFO. We both saw other UFOs too. I didn't talk about it for a long time. And for a long time, I didn't have any idea what it was because back then you thought of UFOs as like airplanes and this was a little tiny thing, but now they can be considered little tiny things too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never, and I've never heard of that case, you know, of them being so small like that or in a room and with, you know, with paranormal activity, you often hear and people reporting of seeing orbs, don't you, in, in their homes or so maybe it's like you saying, maybe it's something more than that. Well, it was something weird because we both woke up at the same time. We didn't know each other was awake. I mean, I think she knew I was awake, but I didn't know she was awake, but we weren't talking about it. And then we both got scared at the same time. It was like there was some mind control going on or something like that. So from then, what what happened then? You said you had other encounters, uh, uh, you know, as you got older. Um, what was the one defining case that you that, that took you down the road to start writing about it? Well, it took me down the road many years later after it happened. At the time it happened, I was working for the <laughs> Defense Intelligence Agency with a real high security clearance in satellite photography. And so it's not something I would talk about then. Uh, I was on the in Washington, D.C., and my sister was at Drew University taking postgraduate work. And we were both on the east end of the country. 
And so we wanted to go up and see the New England states on a vacation. And so I took some co-workers and drove up to, to New Jersey and left them off and took pictures. And we drove up to Boston. We were planning to go stay at Boston and drive on up to the New England states. But we got there early. Since it was still daylight, we drove up into New Hampshire and came back down. And it was sort of interesting because we kind of on the same place where the uh, Betty and Barney Hill abduction took place. We might have gone through some of that area. But we came back down to Boston, and then we couldn't find any place to stay. And so we were driving out of Boston, and we were going to look around the Outer Belt. And so I was driving out, and there was a airport south of us. and It was a small airport, and we could see airplanes coming and turning on their landing lights, and they had the usual green and red wing lights and strobe lights and things and landing lights, some of them. And, but there was this other thing that was below the uh, airplanes that was a real white light and it was blinking and it was pretty noticeable. And my sister said she thought it was a UFO. And I told her it was a helicopter blinking its landing lights because that's the only thing I could think of. So we turned on the Route 95. It's a very famous route today on account of the big traffic jam. There was this woods on the west side of the road, and I was approaching the airport. And there was this light that was kind of on the ground or close to the ground. And it was like a, a transparent ball sphere. And inside of it were these lights that were going through a spectrum, like every shade of blue and every shade of red. And they just kept going through the spectrum. And there was a thing on the outside that looked like it was a revolving. Well, I had no idea what that was. And then the inside of the car lit up in green. And I didn't know what on earth was going on. I looked around. I didn't see green any place. And I thought it must be coming from that light I saw in the woods. But it wasn't green. And so I couldn't figure out what on earth, why the inside of the car was lit up in green. But it went back off. And then my sister kept telling me that that thing ahead, the big thing, was might be a UFO. And I told her that if it was a UFO, that the police and the fire department and the news would all be out there, you know, filming it. So I thought it couldn't possibly be a UFO. And so we continued. And then she started screaming at me to pull over because she said it was going to cross the road. And um, I pulled over because she was screaming loud. I thought she was crazy. And so I pointed my hand out the window and I was going to say it was an airplane and or helicopter. And then I saw a meteor way off in the distance. And then this thing came over the road. And it definitely wasn't a helicopter. It was big and it had seven what looked like windows, and we discussed with each other whether they were windows or panels, and we both thought they were windows that we were looking in. And we've seen blimps with lighted sides before, so we knew what they were. And this had a little red light on one end and a little green light on the other. It didn't blink, and it went uh, crosswise or perpendicular to the road as we were watching it. It was very, very slow. It was very, very low. We could see the windows real clear. It wasn't like something fuzzy or anything. And they were looking in sequence, like the first three on and off, on and off, all seven on and off, and the next four on and off, and then repeat. And my sister said, just as it appeared, that it shone a light down in our car. And I didn't see that, but I was on the driver's side. Well, a truck driver pulled over and came up and asked what we were doing. And I thought we were going to have another witness, but 
he asked what we were doing, and I pointed at it, and I didn't say UFO. I pointed at it, and he turned around and looked in the exact opposite direction and said, I don't see anything. Then he turned back to me and asked the same question. And, you know, by that time, I was sort of nervous. And I again pointed at it. And he just rotated around, looked in the opposite direction, said, I don't see anything. And then he turned around, and he sort of gave me what I would interpret as a crazy sign. And he went back to his truck. Well, then I was afraid the thing was farther away. And my sister said that right when she was looking at the object, that it seemed to get from one place to another. And I didn't notice that until years later when I read her write-up. But it seemed to be in a different place after I talked to him. And it was a lot farther away. And all I could see then was the blinking one light because it was so far away, everything else merged. And so I was afraid I'd get lens flares in my camera from the freeway. And there was a hill, and I ran up the hill. My sister tried to stop me. And it, there was a bald spot on the top of the hill, and I got pictures, one, uh, one picture, and ran back down. And later I was able to publish the picture in a scientific journal. But I ran back down. My sister was totally disappointed because she couldn't see anything in it. There was just this bright light. And I was totally disappointed because I didn't get a good picture. And so I got on the freeway. The thing was still circling the airport. It, it was, when we left, it was circling the airport. It would go from north to south, from south to north in a half circle, blink twice, then from north to south, it would go so fast you couldn't see it. And so I got about even with the airport. And I passed the green light, I passed the funny light in the woods again, and the inside light the car lit up in green again, but not for very long. And then w the thing was going northwest, so we had to sort of zigzag on the roads. And I finally uh, was on this old, very gravel road with a lot of bumps. It was one lane. Uh, you couldn't turn around. And we followed it up that road. But the road was terrible. And it was just a little bit going just a tiny bit faster than I could drive on that road. And we really wanted to see it because I wanted to get a picture and she wanted to, she couldn't, we couldn't see anything on the inside and we wanted to look on the inside again, but I just couldn't catch up with it. And so finally I turned around, we went back to Drew University that night and got there about six o'clock in the morning. I slept for a while and then I went back to Washington DC and that night I had a poltergeist experience. I didn't know what poltergeists were at the time. And I thought I'd just gone crazy and I had this high security clearance. So I was pretty nervous about things, but then everything became normal. And I went back to my normal life. That's a film. Everything you just told and described to us there is a film. That's extraordinary. So you see this amazing uh, craft um, and then you get chased by a crazy guy and then you go back to the university and you go back home and you have a poltergeist experience. Wow. I mean, th that is, is absolutely insane. And, and I also spoke to another UFO um, uh, expert who was talking about when he went to Rendlesham Forest, he'd seen a UFO and uh, as he's walking through the forest, he starts getting these very soft, smooth stones sort of 
thrown at him and levitating in front of him. And he describes it as poltergeist activity. So are the two combined? Are UFOs, poltergeist activity, ghosts, are they all combined? Do they come from the same, I don't know, plane? Um, what, what do you think? Well, um, Kathleen Martin, who is the niece of Betty Hill, has done research, and she said that sometimes people that have had close encounters or abductions uh, have poltergeist experiences around the same time as the UFO sighting. So we fit into that category. That doesn't mean I know anything about it. But I didn't at the time. I'd never heard of poltergeist, and I just thought I'd gone insane, and I was really worried about it. Except that it happened right after the UFO. And I know everybody at home's going, "Well, what happened with the poltergeist? What happened?" So, what happened? <laughs> well, what happened was is that it was dark, and I was going to bed, but I kept hearing sounds like there was a man with shoes on walking in my apartment, and. Um, It'd be one place, and then it'd be someplace else, and then it'd be someplace else. And it didn't seem to be continuous. It just clomp, 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 then someplace else, clomp, clomp, clomp. And I couldn't see anybody. And if it got close to the bed, I tried to feel, and I couldn't feel anybody. So I was really, really, really scared. And then I went to sleep, which is pretty stupid. Um, and then I woke up, and my alarm went off. And I thought it was morning, and I got up and started breakfast, but I realized it was dark, and I looked at my clock, and it was 1.30. But anyway, I tried to set it and with my hand, and I was terrified, and I put a chair against the door. And in spite of being terrified, I went back to sleep. Well, the alarm went off at 2.30, 3.30, 4.30, and I think 5.30, and then my toothbrush just flew across the room and hit the wall. It flew from behind me, and nothing was behind me. And then after that, everything went back to normal, and my life was normal from then on. That's incredible. That's, that's, that's I mean, to me, that's so exciting because I'm a bit strange like that. Um, what that was you, terrifying. I, I, I absolutely. I mean, I would have been out of there at the same time as being very excited. Let's move on to abduction now. Do you think alien abduction is real. Do you think the case of Betty and Barney Hill, do you think they made it up uh, for, you know, uh, fame? Or do you do you believe the case? After that thing that happened when we were kids, we both saw the same thing. And we both, for the most part, saw the same thing the second time. But I wondered if it can be put in your mind. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand any of it. So the one thing that, that comes across in a lot of these abduction cases is the fact that uh, all of these people can't account for losing time, which to me is, 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 is incredible. What do you think to that? Well, we could have lost time too, but I couldn't figure it out exactly because we didn't have watches. But we got back to New York at six o'clock in the morning. And that seemed to, it seemed like we should have got back earlier. The things happened to people, though, like the Pascual abduction, which I'm writing about. I'm sure those people were totally sincere that, you know, that something happened to them. What, what happened to them in, in that case, in a, in a, in a nutshell? Uh, they were two just regular, normal people. They were uh, working in a, employed by a shipbuilder. And after work, they went fishing. They were down by the Pasigula River, which flows into the uh, Gulf of Mexico. 
and they fished in a couple of places and couldn't find any good fish. So they went to this other place. And this other place, I think it had a sign that said no trespassing. And the younger man had a new car, and this made him nervous. The older man wanted to fish there, but the younger man was afraid the police would get him. And so the older man said, oh, there's no problem. You know, let's just go fishing. And so they did. And then they saw this blue light, and they thought it was the police. And the younger man told the older man, you know, you can go to jail because it was your idea. But it turned out to be worse than that. It was an object. A door seemed to open, and these things came out. And two of them grabbed the older man, and one grabbed the younger man. And it was like they, you'd normally fight to the death over something like that. But it's like they were injected or something, and they just didn't care, and they could, were paralyzed more or less, and they couldn't fight back. And so these things um, sort of levitated them into the object, and they went down. They stopped seeing each other when they went inside, and it was like they were scanned or something. They might have been in there for 15 or 30 minutes, and then they were back outside. And did um, did this older gentleman and younger gentleman, did they um, have any uh, after effect? So were there, like in the Betty and Barney Hill case, you know, he had a scar on his on his leg, anything like that, or bits of metal left under the skin, which is an, an, another common thing, isn't it, that with abduction? Um, they thought they were injected, and there was a uh, puncture room paper that, there was this puncture wound document, and I'm not too sure where it came from, but it um, was a. They thought they had been injected, although, you know, you can get injected without being actually injected by a needle, I think. But anyway, uh, they found some wounds on them, and we had several people look at the pictures, which are in black and white, which wasn't too helpful. But um, the one man looked like he just had. Uh, subcutaneous scrapes like you know branches or something the other man looked like he could have been injected but was on his foot and so there might have been some evidence we don't know but on the puncture wound uh, document it also said their eyes were dilated and this had been I think that was from the next day their eyes wouldn't have been dilated from the bright light because bright light would make them constrict and it, they'd be over it pretty soon. But there might be drugs or something that would cause their eyes to dilate, you know, that much later. So there seemed to be some effects. But, I mean, nobody was real sure. I mean, they had psychological effects for sure. They were just terrified beyond themselves. And was regression ever mentioned to them? They were um, hypnotized, I think, the next day. And, w- and what came of that? But they already remembered everything that happened, you know, consciously too. Wow. So that, that, I mean, I can't wait to read your book. That's, that sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, do you think, do you think regression uh, is, is a good tool uh, to use in, in these cases? Or do you think it can make the, 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 um, the victim, as it were, would they are, they're victims and absolutely terrified. Do you think it would make them worse not being able to continue with their life, knowing that they've had something awful happen to them? I don't know. Um, they hypnotize them right away. It would be better if they got real good evidence before they tried hypnosis and then hypnotized. Um, and so I just don't know. I don't understand hypnosis that way. 
that much. So why do you think, just lastly, why do you think if, if, if all this is real, and I believe it to be true, I really do, uh, I, I'm not saying all cases that are reported of abduction are real. I think that um, a lot of cases are, you know, um, made up for, you know, getting in the newspapers, being on the news and so so on. But a lot of them are real. Um, and, you know, you know, like you are, you, you, you take it seriously. You know, you've written about it. You're, you're a woman of, of, of science. You investigate UFOs. I think it's absolutely fascinating. But from the aliens' point of view, what do you think they're doing? What do you think uh, they want from us? And why are they uh, injecting us and, and probing and taking skin samples and so on? I have no idea, but I think it would be a lot better if um, I worked for the DIA and I had some reason to think that, DI, that the government has, like the DIA, not everybody in the government, but probably some places in the government, they have more information. And I think it would be a lot better if they just came out and said, we don't understand this, we need to study it. And because they're losing a lot of data all the time because people can't talk about it. And I know, you know, some are hoaxes and some are real, but it should be discussed and studied. And there's, I mean, they could do studies on it. Absolutely. I totally, I totally and utterly agree with you. Let's hope that something starts to happen uh, soon. Um, thank you so much to Dr. Irina Scott. Um, her recent book again uh, is out. Uh, it's about a case uh, of alien abduction and it's called Beyond Pascagoula and it's published by Flying Disc Press. Thank you so very much for joining us, uh, Dr. Irina Scott. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. So do you believe those who have been abducted? I want to know. We'll be back again next week. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. We want to hear from you. Send in a question or an audio clip telling us your paranormal story to this address. It's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. Dot com. And we're also on WhatsApp and you can send in your voice notes. I love getting these to this phone number 075-999-27537. That's 075-999-27537. And we also have an Instagram page and the address is at Paranormal Activity Pod. That's at Paranormal Activity Pod. And remember, things aren't always as they seem. Seriously, next time that I am traveling that road, I'm going to poop my pants. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.